y'all, and we'll see you next Sunday at the Tower. You can't give some people a microphone. You just can't give some people a microphone. Wow. I'm blessed. I'm in awe of God's mercy, his kindness to take part in what he's doing. He didn't have to save me, yet alone call me to be a part of this family. I'm honored, thankful. Uh, over 23 years ago, I gave God my yes, and he did the rest. And every day, I try to give God my yes, because sometimes I fight with him wrestle with him, with the cross I'm supposed to bear, the assignment I'm supposed to fulfill. But whenever I give him my yes, it opens up the door for him to do the rest. And I'm grateful for this church. Um, a pastor is a lot like a quarterback on a football team. Sometimes that quarterback is the face of the franchise. And as the quarterback goes, so goes the team. That's how it is a lot of times for a pastor, that when things go well, a pastor gets an unfair share of the credit. <laughs> ah, it's a team sport. And the church isn't about the pastor. It's about Jesus, and it's about his people. And when things go well, people want to give the pastor too much credit. And when things go bad, they want to give the pastor too much blame. <laughs> but when you're a leader, you accept it, you take it, you realize that's how it is. But it's an honor to serve. But I also know that we wouldn't be here without obeying the Lord and giving him our collective yes. But I want to take a moment just to briefly thank some people. I want to thank the elders that I serve with. These are my friends. These are my brothers. These are my yoke fellows. These are my co-laborers. I enjoy elders meetings because we're going to laugh. We care about each other. We ask each other how families are, and those are just not rote questions. We really mean it. It's a joy to be in the trenches with these men. And then I want to thank God for the diaconate, the men and women who serve in ways that uh, we experience it, even though we don't always see it. They're behind the scenes doing what they do because they've been gifted and called to do it, and they hate any kind of recognition. But thank God for the deacons and deaconesses who serve here. I want to also thank the Lord for the ministry leaders, the men's ministry, those who lead the women's ministry, those who help with children, who assist Felicia, who assist Isaiah with students. Um, there's so many of you who do so much, and I thank you. And I want to thank this church, this congregation, that God's allowed us to journey together in this thing of making disciples and of experiencing, explaining, and expanding his diverse kingdom. What a privilege that we get to be here and to participate in something doing. So happy anniversary to all of you.
But last, but certainly not least, I got to thank someone else. You know, when God created the heavens and the earth, he saved humans for last as we were made in his image and in his likeness. And even in the midst of making humans, whom he saved for last, he saved the best for last when he made woman. Can the church say amen? There's just something about a godly woman. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. And not only do the children rise up and call her blessed, so does Big Daddy. Big Daddy rise up for her. Call her blessed. Now she's working in the, uh, there she is. She's working with the children this morning. Would you come up here, please? Would you come? This is the first lady of Strong Tower Bible Church. Uh, brothers, come on up, Brother Harold Lurcius and this church wouldn't be what it is and where it is without you. For the, uh, for the morning, she put me back together. When you listen to me, when you pray with me or pray over me, uh, thank you. You're not only my rib girl, you're my backbone. I appreciate you. Wow. All right. Uh, and one of her co-workers, um, my wife holds down a job during the week, part-time job, one of your co-workers who happens to be a longtime member of this church, today is her last Sunday. So Ashley Sandifer, would you please stand that we may acknowledge you. She is relocating to Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> Amen. Amen. We love you proud of you. Go in the grace of Jesus. Tear that place up for his glory. And uh, the kingdom of God is universal. The local church is not just one location. I'll always be your pastor no matter where you go. Can't nobody take that. And I watched you walk through some tough places. And not only did you make it, but you kept standing and girl, you look good. You don't look like what you've been through. And he has more for you. He has greater for you. As you get out of the boat and walk on water, keep your eyes on him. And we're just a call away. Because you know you got some mamas and sisters up in here who love you. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and as Pastor G said, uh, huddle groups are this Wednesday. Now, unfortunately, in typical strong tower fashion, Y'all have not signed up yet. I almost said y'all Negroes have not signed up yet. 
But since we're multicultural, I can't say that. Y'all need to sign up. Matter of fact, if you need to be in a small group, we all need to be in a small group. You think Sundays are good. Wednesdays are better because it's a small taste of what happens on a larger scale. So grab your phone, go to the app, and start filling out huddle groups so that we can put you in a small group so that you can be with us on Wednesdays. At 6, we have a meal, uh, potluck. You bring some food to share with others. We fellowship for 45 minutes or so. The students go to their group. The Awana kids go. The children are in their area. And the adults get into small groups on Wednesday night. And uh, so make sure you do that. If you're new to the church, if you're visiting the church, this is open for you as well. You need community. We need you and you need us. Don't be a SOS saint, Sunday only saint. Come on now. Get in the body. Serve and get in community. And now, it's my privilege to introduce our speaker for the morning. But before I introduce him, I want to thank God for his wife, Sister Kathy Sims. Can y'all give it up for my sister? I've been knowing her and this dude since 1987. How many years is that? 30, 31 years. And, uh, and Kathy flew all the way in from Seattle with a bad back. And so she endured a four and a half hour plane ride that she could be with us and alongside of her husband. So we're praying that God will heal you, continue to heal you, I should say, and just take care of that. But I admire your courage, girl. I'm glad that you're here. Amen. Because the Bible says that a noble wife is her husband's crown. So no matter what that man looks like, when you put a good hat on him, that man looks better. That man right there is better because of you. Amen. You still got the same pretty smile. She was the virtuous MC in our group, Transformation Crusade. So she rapped with your pastor. Amen. And her husband, Andre, he was the cleanup hitter. He was the evangelist in the group. No matter where we went, whether it was on street corners, in jails, prisons, concerts, halls, wherever we were, this brother knew how to come up and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. And I'm telling you, I can't think of too many concerts, shows, outreaches we had where someone did not give his or her life to Jesus Christ. When we get to heaven, we're going to hear about how God used Transformation Crusade, the foolishness of preaching the gospel through rap, and how souls came to Jesus Christ in cities across this country. But it wouldn't have happened without this man. When you look at me, what I am in my spiritual development, a lot of it can be attributed to this brother right here. He showed up on our campus um, when we were looking for an example to look to because we're too busy trying to be cool as Christians and, and we really didn't have any depth to us. And so we were very shallow, very worldly and carnal. 
But when this brother came in, after having gone to school at University of Northern Iowa, playing football, transferred to Liberty because he wanted to get more in the word. And when this dude came on campus, he got everyone's respect. Not only because of his muscular physique, but above all because of his muscular spiritual development. And it caused us to want to know God the way he knew God. And we weren't ashamed about Jesus because we were rolling with a cat who wasn't ashamed. He'd been through some things and he wasn't afraid to share his testimony. And, and it was like, you know, my fire grew hanging out with somebody who was on fire. He was engulfed. And so this man has meant so much to me. And he, for the past, how many years now, Dre? 18, 20, been pastoring Christ the King Bible Fellowship in a federal way. Um, he was here for a minute. He was a pastor on staff here for a couple of years. He worked at Temple Church in Nashville. And I worked with Tony Evans out in Texas. Uh, he has his doctorate from Dallas Theological Seminary, all that stuff. But that's my homeboy right here. And I am so honored that he had time in his busy schedule. Because there was a time, I don't know if he still does it, he breaks bats and runs through ice. and He's one of them power team kind of dudes that after he breaks something, he didn't tell you about Jesus so that you can get your life together. I mean, he travels. He came from Ohio to be with us today. Uh, and I'm so glad you cleared some time in your schedule, my brother. Strong Tire, would you receive my friend and my brother, Dr. Andre Sims? My brother. Oh, what a blessing. How many glad besides me to be in the house of the Lord? Anybody besides me glad to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Well, you know, all of those accolades, <laughs> affirmations and exhortations are only due to Jesus. Anything we've ever accomplished, God has done it in and through us, those of us who know him. And uh, your pastor is gracious uh, to uh, say all these positive things. But I, I want to talk about what it means to be a pioneer. That's the kind of focus of my message for your 23rd anniversary. And uh, I went on ahead and pulled it up on Webster here. A pioneer, a person or a group that originates or helps open up a new line of thought or activity or a new method or technical development, typically someone that is first. And uh, he wouldn't say it of himself, but uh, your pastor has had a lot of first. Uh, he's the guy that laid the foundation for the first African-American to receive the preaching award at Liberty University. Uh, no one had accomplished that through their homiletics class until Chris Williamson had done that. There's a TV show. Uh, it, it predates many of you. It's called the Old Time Gospel Hour. Dr. Jerry Falwell. Some of you don't know that Chris and I are Jerry's kids. And uh, we graduated from that institution. And they had this, uh, this show called the Old Time Gospel Hour. And there were not many people of color that ever be invited to the show. Certainly, Dr. Williamson was the first Christian rap artist be invited on national television, a pioneer, before there was ever a hip-hop 
department genre, if you will, in Christian music, Dr. Williamson was using rap to communicate life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. He can't help it. He can come up here and make announcements and just start dropping verses and <laughs> teaching the text. And it's just in him to do it. And you've been blessed to receive it for 23 years. You know, he's not puffed up about it. He's not trying to impress you. It's just what's in you comes out. Right? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. As water reflects the face, so a man's heart reflects the man. You squeeze somebody hard enough, long enough, eventually what's in them? It comes out. <laughs> he was the first to receive scholarship for non-athletic activities and non-academic requirements. Because of his faithfulness to share the gospel around the country in a 1977 Ford Thunderbird <laughs> on love offerings. On, this is before honorariums came out. This, this is <laughs> go and pray and believe God for gas. <laughs> Just believe God as you travel <laughs> from spot to spot. Man, we get it. <laughs> We get in that car and look at the envelopes and crack our envelope open and see like $40. We'd be running around the car. Oh, praise God. Run around the car. Run around the car. That means I get off the dollar menu. I can buy an extra value meal. $40. But, but he was the first to travel the country and find himself on the south side of Chicago, east side of Detroit, west side of Philadelphia, sharing the gospel on a flatbed truck with a big old sound system, drawing lost men and women, boys and girls to a location, and then communicating the gospel in a genre that, they, that was growing, that they could understand the truth in. Your pastor's a pioneer. He's the guy who's done a lot of things first. Dr. Falwell got letters sent to him from around the country stating that there were young men and women that were sharing the gospel and people's lives were being changed. And Dr. Falwell called us to his office. I don't know if that's me crackling. Anyway. Uh, and he just said to us, so tell me about this 13-week evangelistic crusade you just created. Like, there's no professor in charge of this. There's no, the dean of students didn't ask you to do this. There's no scholarship available for you to have incentive to want to go. What, what compelled you to go share the gospel? When it was all said and done, my wife was endowed with a blessing to have parents that could put her through school. I was on full-ride football scholarship. But your pastor and Daryl Fitzgerald received full scholarship from Dr. Falwell just because of the lives that were being changed because people had a desire. People, your pastor had a desire to see lost people saved. Put himself out there. And Dr. Falwell, <laughs> he wrote it down. I can remember being in Baltimore, Maryland, like right near his, you know, his hometown. That's a Randallstown boy right there. And uh, we were at a concert. There was this group called Commission. And, and we loved Commission. And we were getting ready to see them live for the first time. And we got to the concert early. And, they were warming up and doing a mic check. And, uh, you know, I'm the extrovert of the group, so I just walked up to them, no security. 
And I talked to the bass player, uh, well, guitar player rather, and I, and I asked Michael what, 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 what was their thought about Christian rap. And he said, man, they don't like it. They don't listen to it. They don't think it's of God. You know, certainly you can't have rap and Jesus all in the same sentence. And, uh, but, he said, but, I'm working on a little something. Can y'all come on our bus after the concert is over? Well, I mean, <laughs> just to even talk to him, I was trying to, you know, keep my stuff together. Act like I wasn't impressed. And then they happened to be using the, the tour bus called the Windy City that belonged to Luther Vandross. Big old candy apple red tour bus. Concert was over. He was like, man, y'all, come on. We got on the bus, and this guy that you probably never heard of named Fred Hammond <laughs> said to Dr. Williamson, man, man, go ahead and do a little whatever y'all do. I really don't see how the God can use it. And your pastor opened his mouth. <laughs> they were trying not to tap their foot. They were trying not to move. <laughs> but it, it, was, it was just too much for them. And when that one was over, he said, well, just, just do one more, then y'all got to go. Do one more. They did two more. And eventually, he said to us, he said, one day, someone's going to sign you guys. And when they do, here's my number. I want you to call me because I want to produce you. First Christian artist to be produced by what we know will be a Hall of Famer, if you will, in the gospel music industry. Your pastor is a pioneer. When Scotty Smith from Christ Fellowship called me and said they were going to staff their church with an African-American pastor... I was a personal trainer at Let It Shine Gym in Franklin. And uh, I was content with what I was doing. I was waiting on God's opportunity for more evangelism. Your pastor was working at a sign shop, and he was miserable. <laughs> that brother was suffering. <laughs> he was telling me, dude, I don't know when I'm moving, but I'm moving. Because I am not called to make signs for Starbucks or nobody else. <laughs> so they called me for an interview for this staff position. So I went to the interview, and I, as the young lady was interviewing me, I said, you know, there's a man of God with a master's of religious education that lives in town here that would be the fit for this opportunity. She said, well, we don't know exactly who that is, but we were told to interview you. I said, yeah, trust me. If you're interviewing, the Lord will do the rest. And so he became, as a pioneer, the first African-American staff person to be on pastoral staff at Christ Community, which is ultimately how you wind up here at Strong Tower Bible Church because of what God did. That's the cliff note version. I could go into more pioneering if I had time, but I don't want to suck up all my preaching time on all this guy's first. <laughs> but um, to be quite honest with you, I, I wouldn't have changed my schedule to fly anywhere else. I would have just told the person I can't make it. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, I'd, I'd love to be a part of your ministry, but you're going to have to reschedule it. But when he told me when the anniversary was, um, I was scheduled to have hip surgery four weeks ago. And I said, you know, I just need to see if we can't move some things around, see what the Lord is doing. Of course, there are other circumstances in life, but at the end of the day, I really wanted to be here. And I'm so thankful by the grace of God he allowed that to be the case. I'm just thankful for your pastor. 
Well, you can grab your Bible. Grab your Bible. Turn to 2 Corinthians. Oh, I see they got the Genesis 9 up there. We can start there. We can start there. I, I can go where you're going. <laughs> yeah, turn to 2 Corinthians. How about that? 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The kingdom of God is diverse. Even though Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week, the kingdom of God itself is diverse. Strong Tower Bible Church is a pioneer of that diversity, as demonstrated by the demographic as you look alongside or by your side, you see people that look different than you. That's intentional. That, that's on purpose. And uh, as a conservative evangelical in my theology, uh, there's some training that I've not received in my Bible college experience. There's some things I wasn't taught in my doctoral program that I think uh, these things are essential to our ability to recognize that God wants to do a magnanimous work in his body and he needs his kids to both know the truth and communicate the truth. And when you're at the Bible church, you can just start shouting out Bible verses and telling what book, chapter, and verse to look at. And folk have Bibles and the word is on the screen. And we get to move forward because we still believe the Bible to be inerrant. Contrary to popular opinion, it's without error in its original autographs. The Bible is inerrant. The Bible is infallible. The term means dependable for what it says. Everything that God has communicated in his word will come to pass. <laughs> there is a, a heretical Bible uh, bumper sticker, if you will. It says, uh, God said it. Uh, I believe it. And, and that settles it. But that's not really true. The bumper sticker should read, God said it. That settles it. You don't have to believe it. <laughs> it's God's word. It's going to come to pass. His word is infallible, dependable for what it says. And so we get to flip around in the Bible because it really doesn't matter what the guy up front is saying, quite frankly. His ideology is totally insignificant. His personal philosophy is without value, is, is not as valuable as what the text has to say to all of us. And so this is a very common Bible passage. You're very familiar with it. Verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness and what accord has Christ with Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Very, very familiar passage. We know the biblical context of the passage is agrarian in nature, and it has to do with having this wooden harness called a yoke. And it has to do with plowing fields. And it's an illustration of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament not associating itself with nations that don't know God, that practice idolatry. And here's our New Testament application. It's in reference to being born again and being regenerate 
having received Jesus the Christ, being indwelt by the Spirit of God, having the gift of eternal life, and being yoked together with somebody who's not chosen the Christ, who's unregenerate, who's unredeemed, who's without Christ, who's not a believer, who's an unbeliever, a believer and an unbeliever should not be yoked together. We all kind of know that. We've heard that. We understand the truth of that. But, but there's this theologian. His name is C.I. Schofield. Cyrus Schofield, arguably the father of dispensationalism. Uh, he, in his annotated Bible of 1909, communicated that this particular passage had to do with not bringing together various ethnicities. Black folk and white folk shouldn't get married, according to this book, chapter, and verse. Those who read that, those who chose to believe that, continue to perpetuate that. And so you have institutions, you have Bible colleges, conservative evangelical institutions, people who are supposed to get upset when you uh, identify something as untrue in the Scripture. So they go bananas. If you say something like Jesus is not God, you're supposed to be kicked out of the house of God. That's heresy, Right? Jesus is God, right? He's God manifested in the flesh. He's the visible image of an invisible God, right? So if I say he's not God, you're supposed to hurry up and get security to carry me up out of here. I know that's Pastor Chris' friend, but he need to get on a plane. <laughs> that dude is up there lying on God. So we get upset about the mistranslation of the aorist tense of the first verb in the first verse of Romans chapter 1, verse 1. But we don't get upset about heretical teaching concerning ethnicity. Now, the blessing of being at a place like Strong Tower is that you get the Bible even when you don't like what it has to say. <laughs> even when you're not feeling it, you're still going to get it. And it's not going to be off the dome. It's going to be on a book, it's going to be on a chapter, it's going to be on a verse, or verses, or the context of the passage. And so this guy, C.I. Schofield, who's in charge of this, or created this dispensationalist. Now, I'm a dispensationalist. I'm, we may have some covenant theologians in the audience, and, you know, so I, <laughs> I believe in the age of innocence. I believe in the age of conscience. I believe in the age of human government. I believe in the age of promise. The fifth dispensation, the age of the law. I feel like we're living in the sixth dispensation, the age of grace. Anybody besides me glad that there's grace in, in the character of God? <laughs> the seventh dispensation is kingdom. And whether you believe that or not, it's a man-made process or system by which to organize the text. It's not a book, chapter, and verse issue. It's how you organize your thoughts to understand the truth of Scripture. So, so this C.I. Schofield guy is the guy that kind of came up with this, but... It just goes to show you, you can be way right and understand a whole bunch of stuff over here and be totally out of pocket talking out the side of your neck over here. Because now that you've earned credibility and you, and you have uh, these credentials behind your name, that means you get to just say anything. And, and that's the blessing of being at a place for 23 years where the text is the documentation by which we establish direction. The, the book of of scriptures where we actually find what we want to follow. And so this guy came up with this annotated Bible and these footnotes 
and they have led a lot of people astray. So much so that as one of Jerry's kids, we had a sister school called Bob Jones University. <laughs> Bob Jones University established in 1927. And in 1950 at Bob Jones University, they put in their handbook that interracial dating was contrary to God's word and contrary to God's will based on 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. They got that from the father dispensationalism, Cyrus Schofield, and they put it in their handbook. It wasn't black folks and white folks. There was an Asian young man that wanted to date a majority or dominant culture female, and they documented this is not going to happen here. So that was the rule on campus in the handbook. Now, you would think that in the 60s, that rule kind of got, you know, banished, but it, it didn't happen in the 60s. You would think in the 70s, they changed that, but it, it didn't happen in the 70s. You would think in the 80s or the 90s. Guess what? By 1999, that was still in the handbook. Bob Jones University, the institution that's conservative, evangelical, teaching the truth of Scripture, the Koine Greek, the original Hebrew, the, the variants of Aramaic, Aramaic passages, that institution was teaching folks of all nations and all colors and all creeds, that if you come together and you're yoked with someone that's not of the same ethnicity, you're sinning against God. It wasn't until our former first president, Bush, went to the university to speak that some people began to raise sand, as the old folks used to say. <laughs> Because they wanted to know how could you be the guy that wants to be the president of the nation and go to an institution that doesn't allow for individuals to come together based on ethnicity. So he wound up on a Larry King live show. And they brought Bob Jones III onto the show to ask, why does your institution have this on said page in your handbook? And he said, you know, we just changed that. History would tell us it changed that night on the program. <laughs> it, it came from someplace where you're supposed to be able to just assume the truth is being taught, conveyed, and practiced, but that proved not to be the case. I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, arguably the Harvard of seminaries. Started in 1924. They didn't allow their first African-American student until 1971. We have reformed theologians who suggest that Dr. Martin Luther King's dissertation potentially doesn't allow for him to be saved. He's not even born again based on what he wrote. But that same individual, that same theologian who changed our nation tried to get into institutions like Dallas Theological Seminary and was not allowed to go. So he wound up at some liberal place that didn't necessarily espouse to the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture and learned theology from them and penned what he learned. And now them same folks want to point fingers and say he didn't write it right. Well, if I'm trying to come to the institution to learn it and you don't let me come in, you can't at the same time throw rocks at me when I don't get it right. And you can't know the condition of my heart because only God knows the heart. <laughs> right? So, so the first African-American to graduate with a doctorate degree from Dallas Theological Seminary is Dr. Tony Evans in 1976. These are the things that evangelicals have perpetuated 
that are challenging for us when it comes to loving each other. Being on one accord based on what? Based on the common bond of the spirit. It has nothing to do with ethnicity. It has nothing to do with skin color. It has nothing to do with hue. It has to do with truth. And I didn't choose me, right? I didn't choose me. God chose me. Now, I know some of y'all real saved. You know what I'm saying? And some of y'all feel like if I was God, I'd have chose me too. I was the guy looking at my creation. I'm like, oh, yeah, he got to get saved. The rest of us know that it's only by the grace of God that we're going to enter into the kingdom. <laughs> I deserve to buzz hell wide open. But God so loved the world. <laughs> Hallelujah. So run to Genesis chapter 9 real quick. Genesis chapter 9 real quick. Genesis chapter 9. Sound doctrine. Genesis chapter 9, starting at verse 18. It says, Now the sons of Noah who were out of the ark was Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. Let me just stop right there and say all Hispanics, all Asians, all Pacific Islanders, all Africans, all African Americans, all, all ethnicities come from these eight individuals, according to the Bible. Now, that was not something I was taught in Bible college, not something I was taught in seminary. That was something that the Spirit of God taught me as a result of digging into Scripture. Well, the, the passage is really clear, verse 19. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. All 7.8 billion people in the world came from these eight folks. So you have to have some color DNA in there somewhere to come up with some mocha, chocolate, brown, yellow, reddish tones. According to the Bible, <laughs> you, you got to get all your folk from here. So, it goes on. We, we don't have time to even read it. We, we'll, we'll just paraphrase the middle, jump down to the meat. We know Noah planted him some grapes, decided to get a vineyard worked out. <laughs> Never drink your own product, right? That, that's, you're not supposed to consume your own stuff. <laughs> Noah got full, fell out, no clothes on. According to the Bible. <laughs> I don't know how the clothes came off, but he, whoo, he was, and he was by himself, wasn't even a party, no club, no nothing. <laughs> Noah was taste testing the product. All the clothes came off. Bam, he was out. <laughs> According to the scripture. That's how you get full in antiquity. Do your own thing. <laughs> Where is my shirt? What in the world? <laughs> he passed out. <laughs> and his youngest boy, Ham, was like, wow, really? You the righteous dude that got saved from all the people in the world? God put you on a boat? And you out here passed out, smelling like grape juice. He went and got his brothers. Hey, yo, psst. 
We ain't got to worry about getting in no more trouble. Dad is out. Y'all got to see this. But the brothers came in, turned their backs, put on a cloak, walked backwards, dropped it on their dad to preserve his honor. The youngest son didn't do that. He exposed his daddy. The Bible says because of that, there was a curse. It's found in verse 25. Then he said, verse 25, cursed be Ham. Now, who has that version? Raise your hand. A lot of versions of Scripture around here. C-E-V, N-K-J-V, K-J-V, N-I-V. Anybody got that version? Cursed be Ham. Nobody? Anybody heard of the curse of Ham? Let's see your hand. Anybody heard of the curse of Ham? Oh, so 75% of y'all got your hands raised. You heard of the curse. But we can't find it. Right? We're reading the text. We can't find it. Cursed be Canaan. This is Noah's grandson, not Noah's son. And so how is it then that there's been this idea that slavery that took place in our nation was a consequence of this very chapter in the Scripture? Black folks wound up traveling down the diaspora from Ghana, West Africa, because of this passage. So much so that there is a community of, re of religious people uh, called the Latter-day Aints that um, believe that if you are of a darker hue, you are a Lamanite. What's a Lamanite? A Lamanite is someone that was cursed with darker skin. Starting with Native American and working your way up to darker. <laughs> Blue-black, as we say, in the hood. That's, that's on the way other end. <laughs> if you have that going, you're a Lamanite. You are a descendant of Ham. You are a, a victim of the curse. And you shouldn't be trying to find justice or social justice or equity based on what God already said. The problem is God didn't say it. According to the text, it was the grandson that wound up with the curse. And I think it's interesting that conservative evangelicals don't tell us about the etymology, right, the origin of the word ham, but I've learned it from someone of a false religion. So we don't want to be associated with them in any way, any form, or any fashion, but they know how to read the Hebrew. And when I look at the text and I go back and I study the etymology of the word, I find out that Shem means dusky, olive color. Jesus was of the line of Shem. Abraham, Moses, all these guys of Hebraic descent, dusky, olive color. Ham means brown, dark. Japheth means white, bright, or fair. We got some Japheth descendants in the house today. Y'all ain't from Ham. Y'all not from Shem. But you are a child of God. Right? So, okay, so we, we kind of learn a little bit about ethnicity by studying the scripture. All the folks, all 7.8 billion came from these eight. You got to figure that out. <laughs> you can't have all white rabbits. 
and get gray and brown rabbits. You got to start dark, work your way back. You won't have to believe me. We just reading the text, right? We don't need science class. We got the scripture. And according to the scripture, Genesis chapter 10, verse 6, Ham had four boys. Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. Cush, Cushite is where we get the nation Ethiopia. Mizraim is where we get the nation Egypt. Put is where we get the nation Libya. Canaan, you can't find that on the continent of Africa. Why? Because Canaan was cursed. Not all black folk. Egypt still exists. <laughs> you can go there, fly to Cairo. Right? Ethiopia still exists. Libya still exists. Canaan has been taken over. Why? Because of the curse. They were told they were going to be slaves to Shem. The Israelites took their land because God gave it to them. That's where the Palestinian-Israeli conflict starts because they know it was their land. They just didn't know that the God of the universe gave it to somebody else. And it will be returned again because God's word is infallible. <laughs> He's going to do exactly what he said. Without sound doctrine, we cannot have a successful, diverse kingdom because we don't know what we're talking about. You, it's a sound doctrine. It's at Strong Tower, you have a, a southern demographic. It's different than the northwest demographic where I live in Seattle. You live in the Bible church belt. I live in the unchurched belt. Not because I say so. You pass me that book right there, brother. But because people like George Barna, arguably the greatest statistician of our day that's born again, spent 20 years in the Northwest. And he identified the area of the country that I live in as we're number 50 of 50 for the states. Of the most people professing to have no religion. <laughs> We got all witches and all warlocks come to our city for the National Wiccan Convention, downtown Courtyard Marriott, every August. All witches, all warlocks, all soothsayers, all mediums. But, but because we have all of that, we don't have the same Confederate flags flying like y'all got. Y'all got people that just to tell you, yep, and you just look at the back, look at the front, look at the gun rack, look at the whatever you want to look at. We don't, we don't have that in the Northwest. Our stuff is covert. <laughs> But you have African-American and dominant culture, white individuals who have been married for 59 years. They're in their 80s. Because it didn't cost them their life to do it 80 years ago. Not so in the demographic of the South. And if we're just going to keep it 100, because I heard that's what y'all do around here at Strong Tower. Y'all just tell the truth because you can find it. Then we can just <laughs> grab the Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. And we can look at something that folk don't like to talk about in the church, but we're just looking at the Bible. According to Genesis chapter 16, starting at verse 1, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid servant 
whose name was Hagar. Now, let me just see. Did we see Egyptians somewhere earlier? The answer is yes. <laughs> Some of y'all a little gunshot. Ah, you about to go somewhere with that. Mizraim, Egypt, second boy of Ham, Hagar is Egyptian. Why is she the maidservant? She's the maidservant that Abraham and his wife decided, God, you've taken too long on this son of promise guy. You said we were going to have a son. Eventually his name is going to be Isaac, but it's going to take 25 years. At year 16, we started growing faint, and we started talking about can we work out something else. A word in there somewhere for those of us who are still waiting on God to deliver and fulfill what he said. You don't want to try to help it. I'm probably, I'm probably the only one that try to, tries to assist God in being God in my life. But Abram decided that he and his wife would assist God, and they pulled Hagar in. And according to verse 3, then Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian. The scripture just keeps saying that. And gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his Wife. Mm. So the reason that we have some challenges in the southern demographic is because we haven't gotten to the place where we understand that born again is born again is born again is born again. Doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter what creed you are, doesn't matter what lineage you come from, doesn't matter what your heritage is. If you're born again and know Jesus, you're my brother. You profess to know Christ as Savior, you're my sister. And we're gonna spend eternity together. Because I can't lose my salvation because I was sealed. Yeah. Ephesians 1, 13 and verse 14, by the Holy Spirit of God, I, until the day of redemption, I, <coughs> I can't lose what I got because I didn't give it to me in the first place. And I didn't have to work to earn it to receive it. The work was already done by the Savior, and I received him, and he imputed his righteousness into me. So I'm going. You're going to be with me. For eternity, no matter what nationality you are. According to the Bible in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, Greek word ethnos, English word ethnicity, will be in heaven. You say, well, how do you know? Because Revelation chapter 7 just said so. When the angels start singing holy, 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 the 24 elders that represent the church start singing too. That, that's us. You don't have to believe me. Just get your apocalyptic literature out and, and start. For 1995, you too can be a deep theologian. <laughs> right? <laughs> get your wares and study some stuff. Right? So I know I'm going to have a glorified body. It's, it can transcend walls because Jesus went to go see the disciples hiding after his crucifixion when he was resurrected. But I don't know what the glorified body is going to look like. Right? The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when you put a kernel of corn in the ground, it comes out different. Right? It becomes a stalk with ears of corn on it. So when my body goes to the dust and goes in the ground, when Jesus comes back in the rapture and the dead in Christ rise first, I don't know what that body is going to look like, but it still has ethnicity according to Revelation chapter 7. I don't know what shape it's going to be in, but, but you're going to be able to recognize me. Right? So, so Abraham had a, 
an African wife, according to the scripture. Go to Genesis chapter 41. That's not a popular conversation in your part of the country. There's this guy in the Bible named Joseph. Genesis chapter 41, there's a guy named Joseph that could interpret dreams. He becomes the visor, the prime minister, the number two in charge. He gets all these emblems or symbols to say I'm number two in charge. He gets a signet ring, verse 42. He gets royal clothes, verse 42b. He gets a gold chain. I knew y'all catch that. <laughs> That's according to the Bible. If you don't have the right bling, you can't be number two. <laughs> You're still in the peasant category. You can't hang out in the chariot with us. According to the scripture. He got all these symbols. Verse 43, and he came to ride second in the chariot. His mode of transportation means he was official. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So they set him over all the land of Egypt. <laughs> I am Pharaoh. Without your consent, no man can lift his hand. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name, gave him an Egyptian name, which has everything to do with the authority he received. He's getting an African name now. But he's of the descendant of Shem. He's a Hebrew. But he's getting an African name. Y'all can't even pronounce it. He says, and he gave him a wife. Uh-oh. The daughter of Potiphar, priest of An. So Joseph went out over all the land. Potiphar is Egyptian. His daughter is Egyptian. Joseph married a sister. That's, I'm just saying, that's what the Bible says. So you got Abraham, the father of the Israelites, interracially married. You got Joseph, the guy that saved the nation, interracially married. You go to Numbers chapter 12, y'all know the story. What's his name? Moses. He's the guy that led everybody. Numbers chapter 12. And guess what descent his wife is? I know it's bad. I know. Southern demographic, that's bad. But... Uh, when you read the text, <laughs> Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married, they're going to say it again, an Ethiopian woman. Some of y'all, who got Cushite in their Bible? He married a Cushite woman. Cush, Ham's first boy. Ethiopian, if you didn't believe the etymology then, now you know it by translation. Some translations say Cushite. Some translations say Ethiopian. Why? Because they're one and the same. Moses married a sister. It's about to get ugly. Because I got a lot more verses. <laughs> David went on top of the house one day. Decided not to mess around with the mighty men. I'm going to stay home this week. I deserve some time off. 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, 1 to 12. Historical books. The history of the kings. 2 Samuel chapter 11. David 
on top of the house, could see other folks' houses, according to the Bible. Verse 3, so David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Eliam is Bathsheba's daddy. According to 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 12, Eliam's daddy is Ahithophel. Ahithophel, David's trusted spiritual advisor, is a Gileonite. Canaanite, Gileonite, and Hittite, all from the same demographic in the world. All African. So David's spiritual advisor, the man after God's own heart, was African. His name is Ahithophel. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 12. His son's name is Eliam. His daughter's name is Bathsheba. Just, just the Sheba alone, you should have already <laughs> been with me on that. You should have already been. Oh, he going somewhere with that Sheba name. He going somewhere with that. So Abraham married a sister. Joseph married a sister. Moses married a sister. David married a sister. David had a son. His name was Solomon. He wrote a whole book about this Shulamite woman. <laughs> I, I, my, I, I could keep going if y'all want. <laughs> but we just, don't, we just don't have time. We know that Solomon was the original Mac Daddy. Before any kind of pimping came out, Solomon was on the scene. Somebody just help us. Somebody that knows their Bible. How many wives did Solomon have? Somebody said over 800. Somebody give me a number. 700 wives, 300 concubines, 1,000 women. You know there were some sisters lined up in there somewhere. But even if you didn't think so, Song of Solomon will tell you so. <laughs> the southern demographic suggests that the thing that divides us the most, which is interracial relationships and marriage, is not a biblical concept because the patriarchs of the faith were interracially married, not to just anybody, black folk. Because there's a little distinguishing between Asian minority and African-American minority. It's a little bit distinction between Hispanic minority or Latino minority and African-American minority. You can just look at the educational gap or the employment gap or the incarcerational issue and you see there's a little bit disparity between these minorities. But these patriarchs were married to black folks because black wives matter. Oh. <laughs> <Go ahead>. Right? <laughs> we we got to get ready to close. I know, <laughs> I know I ain't never coming back, but I'm trying to get my stuff in. Before y'all put me out, I'm trying to get a little stuff in before we leave out. Genesis chapter 2. We got to get ready to go. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Can I, can I get my picture up, uh, slide, if we have it? <laughs> I know it's time to go. Get, I'm starting to sweat. This risk. 
This last point, I'm trying to get out. Now, y'all know y'all done seen Charlton Heston 50 times. Y'all love that version of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> That's your favorite. Right? But Charlton Heston is supposed to be Moses. He's supposed to be from the line of Shem, which means he needs to be dusky, olive-colored. That, that's not tan. He's the wrong hue to be Moses. But the sixth largest grossing religious film in American history. We'll watch it, won't say a word. Won't teach a soul because we don't know any better. Because we are perpetuating the lie that does not celebrate the diversity of the kingdom. The kingdom is not mono anything. <laughs> and what makes Strong Tower Bible Church the Bible church is its willingness to say that we need to come together based on the common bond of the spirit and demonstrate the unconditional love of Jesus. So uh, we got Moses there. And then we go right across from, from Moses and we take a look at uh, what would be identified in history as the most recognizable painting of all Christianity. At the very top right-hand corner, that's the Last Supper. <laughs> really? You can't give me one disciple? Can I get a maid in there serving some grapes and some juices? Can anybody in there be of any other color? This guy named Leonardo da Vinci came up with this thing in the 1500s, and it is now the most recognizable Christian portrait in the world. We got it in our pictorial Bibles, and nobody's saying anything. But if you said that Jesus was the Son of God and not God manifested in the flesh, but he's just emanating from God, Jesus isn't emanating from God. Jesus is God. If I said that to you, you'd start throwing dust in the air like you should. But I can put this up in the church and nobody will say a thing. It's heresy. It's erroneous. It's not true. It shouldn't be found anywhere in the evangelical church. But since we don't say anything... We're perpetuating this lie that suggests that Christianity is a white man's religion. Because they're looking at images like this, and the people who know God and study the text aren't saying anything. That image needs to have some color in it. It just doesn't happen to have any. So we can just drop right down to that next bottom right. Michelangelo, Sistine Chapel, the creation of Adam. In case it's a little blurry for you, Adam is white. I don't have my laser pointer today. God is white with a beard, right? And all the baby cherubs around God are white. All angels. The angels are white. God is white. Adam is white, but we're trying to understand why do people of color who don't want to be engaged in conversation with us about God, why are they having problems? They're having problems because they're not getting the truth. 
And Christians have done, we just, you know, we just, <laughs> we just blowing past this stuff like it doesn't matter. It matters. And, and so Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says that Adam was formed from the dirt or the dust of the ground. Now, uh, it's hard to find white dirt. I mean, you know, you might find some white dust. But you can't get that in the Hebrew. It's dirt. You dig under the brown layer, you get red, clay. Adam's Hebrew name is two parts. It's ad, A-D, ham. Ad, reddish. Ham, brown, dark. Adam is reddish brown. Why? Because he was formed from the dirt. According to the Bible, Adam is the first human. <laughs> Hue, color, the first man of color. I'm not making Adam black. That's, that's not what the word means. I don't need him to be black. I just need to be biblical. Right? I just need to dig through the text so that the pioneers like Strong Tower Bible Church can continue to promote and propagate the diversity of the kingdom by the truth. We don't have to make stuff up. Acts chapter 8, an Ethiopian comes to Jerusalem and gets saved. Acts chapter 8. That's in the first century. So the first nation to claim Christianity as a national religion is Egypt, second century. Ethiopia, fourth century. First nation to, second nation to claim Christianity as a national religion. Right? Now, we're not talking about Hebrew, Hebrew folk, Israelites. We already know they, they got the, the insider scoop on the Jesus thing. God chose them to introduce the rest of us to him. We're talking about nations after that. Second century Egyptians. So here's my thing. The Bible, contrary to popular opinion, is not a history book. That just got to sink in for a second. The Bible is a book of redemptive history with secular history in it. There's a difference. If you're looking for a bunch of dinosaurs and Tyrannosaurus rex, you're not going to find a whole lot because dinosaurs don't have nothing to do with why God came to redeem mankind. It's a redemptive history book. I'm not saying behemoth isn't in there, book of Job. I'm just saying the stuff you're looking for, you're looking in the wrong place because that's not why it was written. It was written to show man how you can get to God and be reconciled to him and spend eternity with him. It has nothing to do with all these other things you're looking for. So, so this, this history book says... What it says about redemptive history, secular history will teach you that Ethiopia claimed to be a Christian nation in the 4th century. That Islam didn't come on the scene until the 7th century. Yes, it's the fastest growing religion in the world right now, but it came after us. The documentation they have in the Quran is borrowed. It, it took the Europeans and the Norwegians until the ninth century 
for Constantine to decide, or Charlemagne to decide, that they would claim Europe as a Christian nation. Seven centuries after African folk had already said, we believe God. If you go to Ethiopia and you start talking about that, that Christianity is a white man's religion, you'll have people falling out on the ground laughing. Because in America, we only talk about the last 500 years of history. We don't talk about the 1500 before that. We shape all of our understanding of who Jesus is around the last 500 years. When colonialism interrupted and caused a breach in the understanding of Bible truth. Once people of color understood that mayhem and raping and pillaging was all in the same breath with Jesus, they decided that's not for me. It must be for those who are perpetrating the pain and the suffering. That's only been the last 500 years. The first 1,500 years, there was no such conversation. Our desire is to help you. And uh, where's Bernard? Because we got to go. Bernard, football Bernard. Football Extroverted, never met a stranger, Bernard, that I met when I first walked in the door. Super Bowl ring, Bernard. Okay, just leave the camera right there. Come on up here. Come on up here. Okay. I'm going right, to stand right here. I, I ain't going to move. I'm going to stand right here. <laughs> I told you he had an answer. Later. He thought, no, I ain't coming up there. All right, Bernard, we got to go. But uh, as Pastor Chris said, I, come, on, come all the way up. I know you ain't scared to say this. Come all the way up here. So, so this is a, a Cincinnati Bell uh, phone book. Actually, I duct tape two together because it's only like 400 pages. Yeah, yeah. So it's 800 pages. What I want you to do is be the hands and the eyes of all these great people out here. Make sure I haven't taken a razor blade to the pages, make it easier to tear. Just flip it open, kind of, you know, browse, take a look, take a look, look like regular phone book, haven't been tampered with. I know we got some young people who don't know what this is. This thing right here. <laughs> this. <laughs> we might want to define this right here. Once upon a time, when you want to talk to Mookie and them, you had to look them up in one of these. <laughs> you had to study that. This is a phone book. So what we're going to do is you're going to put your left hand on top right here, put your right hand right here, put it on your hip. You're going to push with your right hand, pull with your left. You're going to rip it down the middle like one piece of paper. All right? Because right? I, I synced the guns when I came in, big boy. I synced them. Then they started telling me about you. So we're going to give you a countdown. They're going to yell and scream. We want these pages to represent the foolishness and the heresy and the lies that have been perpetuated in the family and the house of God. So that this truth that we've talked about today, based on the Bible church of 23 years, can now become the new narrative. We live in a day and age when people can't refute the true narrative. They change it and make a new one. So if bowing a knee really is about police brutality and injustice toward people of color, and you can't answer that, then you change the narrative to make it anti-military, anti-nation. Now, now don't, don't, don't be offended. Romans 13, I have to honor the position. So I pray for my president because I'm commanded to do so. It's not up to me not to do it. Because I always have to battle with getting my faith above my feelings. And God can do anything with anybody. Because he's done it in me. But, but, but the narrative in the church has to change. 
We, we have to be the ones to say that's not true. That's not the original pictorial position of what God says about nations. That's not true. Because evil prevails when good folk say nothing. All right, here we go. So uh, we're going to give him a countdown. He's going to rip this phone book for me, save me the headache. We're going to close the service. Here we go. Everybody say five, five four, four, three, two, one. Come on, B. Yeah. Yeah. How many of y'all want to see him try for real? How many of I'm going to give you a little technique lesson. You want to fold it like a piece of bread, like with some gravy. Yeah. You know how you do your bread around a plate like that? How you, and then when you squeeze it, it's going to rip right here in the middle. That thing ain't ripping. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, here we go. Make some noise, big beat. Let's go. <laughs> Come on, man, we got to go. All right, so here's the deal. If, if you don't know what the truth of it is, then you, you have a hard time being successful at it. Right? If, if we don't know where to find the truth in the chapters and the verses, then we can't allow the Spirit of God to use his word to change and transform lives. So it's not an argument or a debate. I'm not trying to fight or, or argue against the, the Hindu or the Buddhist or the, or the Mormon. What I want to do is just convey truth. To all nations, so that what God desires to do for all creation can, can be propagated, can be celebrated, and can be established as what will set us free. We're going to continue to be at, at one another's throats if we don't know what the truth is. And so, since I know the, the truth on the technique, it, you, you got the, it's all under the hood, you got it. You, you just hadn't been taught how to do it. So, so I'm going to show you how to do it. All right, here we go. So you squeeze it together, and then you peel in the middle. Uh -uh. <laughs> 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 yeah! <laughs> we appreciate you, man. <laughs> that brother ain't even going to speak to me at the picnic. Like, nah, dude. You... <laughs> it's not a matter of him not possessing what he needed. It was a matter of him knowing. You, you all are indwelt by the Spirit of God. You possess what you need. You just need to know the truth. Let us pray. God, thank you for Strong Tower Bible Church. 23 years of faithfully teaching book, chapter, and verse. And we're so grateful that they've been willing to stand through the, the challenges associated with how difficult it is to be multi-ethnic, cross-cultural, multi-socioeconomic. But God, you have your hand on this ministry. You have your hand on the man of God you call to shepherd these individuals. You've prospered them greatly and we are eternally grateful that you would allow for this particular place, this particular house, to be in a region of the country where there's a need for a new narrative in downtown Franklin. There's, there's a need for 
truth to prevail, not anger, not malice, not revenge, but truth. To you be the glory. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much. sure the food is ready. The bouncy houses are inflated. So now we're going to continue on uh, out in the back of the church fellowshipping. I hope you can stay. Again, our first time guests, we hope that you can come and join us. Again, there's food at the table for everyone. Uh, if someone would like to speak with me uh, before we go out, I'll be standing here at the front of the stage. If you want to talk about church membership, come talk to me and I'll give you this card to fill out. But above all, if you want to know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never been born again. Come talk to me, and I'll pray with you so that you can receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen. All hearts and minds clear? Amen. Let's have a great time. God bless you. I'll see you out back. Bless you. Amen.